I'd like to invite you today to turn with me to the book of Mark. The book of Mark, please, in your Bible. And uh, when you find the book of Mark, chapter number one, I would like for you also to turn with me to John, the book of John, the gospel of John, chapter number one, if you would please. It's so, so very good to have you folks here today. One good thing about it, it's air conditioned in here, right? So probably just stay a while today. Just uh, anybody watching the Olympics? Anybody watch the Rangers last night? Anybody going to watch them tonight? <laughs> All right. All right. We continue our study in the book of Mark. The little and the smallest and probably the first written book of the Gospels. Of course, when we refer to the Gospels, we're talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're called the Gospels because they are referenced into our Lord's life. Mark is not so much a book about the teachings of our Lord, but about the doings of our Lord. Key word in the book of Mark is straightway or immediately. In other words, Mark don't mess around. He hangs very few adjectives in his sentences. He gets right to the subject matter and he allows Christ to do the speaking by his actions. I like it because he it just don't mess around. It goes from one event to another. And Mark is probably the earliest gospel that was written. Here's something you might want to check out. When Matthew wrote his gospel, he used about he used the book of Mark in about 90% of his writings. He incorporated the book of Matthew into his book. You say, what that happened to do? Not a thing. I just need to burn up three minutes. Now, let me give you this. Look, if you would, please, in the book of John, chapter 1 and verse number 6. The difference in all the other Gospels is the beginning. Matthew began his Gospel with the birth of Christ and listed there a genealogy. Because a king should have a pedigree. And Matthew is presenting Jesus Christ as the king of the Jews. Going to reign over the throne of David. Luke began with the birth of Christ and and John began even before the birth of Christ and presented Jesus as the Son of God. And it says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God. So John starts his gospel all the way back into eternity past. Mark begins his gospel with the ministry of a fellow we call John the Baptist. Look at chapter 1, John 1, verse 6. And the Bible says, And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Does anybody need a degree in theology to understand that? There was a man 
sent from God, whose name was John. Now let's look at Mark chapter 1, verse 2. And the Bible said, as it is written, in the prophets, behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, I don't want any of you backslidden folks thinking in your mind about let's go down to the river where brother art thou. Now, some of you holy folks never seen that movie. But every time you read that, you Jim, look at him. He's already patting his foot to let's go down to the river. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of skin about his loins. And he did eat locusts and wild honey. And preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and loose, unloosen. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Let's pray and we'll ask God to help us in this next, according to the clock, that Brother Pickett's got illuminated with a light only as bright as the sun. We have 22 minutes till Brother Pickett's phone goes off. Our Father, we love you today. We thank you for the privilege of being able to open your word. And Lord, we just do not feel worthy. So today, Lord, I pray that in some supernatural way, fill me with the Holy Spirit of God. And then, Lord, fill the listener also with your blessed spirit that they can look past the servant today and see the Savior. And Lord, we would much rather them not see the minister, but see the master. And Lord, I pray today in these brief moments we have, may we glorify your word, exalt the Lord Jesus, and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Named before his birth. Supernaturally conceived in a womb that has been dead for years. Elizabeth, his mother, and Zacharias, his father, way past the age of childbearing. And if you and I were to read uh, anything in all the different accounts of John the Baptist, and let me help you a little bit. His last name was not Baptist. (laughs) 
And he was not a Baptist in the vernacular in which we are Baptist. He was the baptizer sent by God. The only one in the world that had the authority to baptize. And he came a man sent from God. Now, Baptist is a good name. It's a Bible name. But we did not get our name from John the Baptist. We got our name because we believe the doctrines of the Word of God. And we believe that a person does not receive baptism until after he is saved. And along about the first century, as you know, until the first century, born-again believers were called Christians first. And as long as everybody acted like Christians and believed like Christians, there was no need for identifying names. I think everybody went to sleep on me. But when the Jews begin to encourage the Christians to be circumcised, and that if you were going to go to heaven, you had to be circumcised, the Christians did not accept that. And so there was a split in the doctrine, and now we have the church that Jesus started and the first church of the circumcision. Then somebody came up with this vernacular and said, well, since baptism is used 116 times in the Bible, surely it must have some saving merit. So evidently when you're baptized, you get saved. So they started the Baptismal regeneration movement says that surely baptism helps saves, but the church that Jesus started said no, they didn't. So now we got three churches the church that Jesus started, and the first church of the circumcision, and the first church of baptismal regeneration. Repent, be baptized for mission sins. When all the other false doctrine began to invade in the church, it became necessary to have identifying names, to identify the doctrinal curtain in which we were wrapping our faith in. Is anybody bored yet? Most of the denominations that have split off of the church that Jesus started bore the name of the man who took a stand and departed. Is everybody here? As you know now, I've not even got on John the Baptist yet. I think I'm riding his donkey. So now we got all of these different names, such as Martin Luther. 
who departed the Catholic Church and started the Lutherans. And then we have John and Charles Wesley who did not intend to start a church. They just wanted a more holy movement in the Church of England. And the Church of England did not want a holy movement, so they kicked John and Charles out. And because they had new new methods, guess what they call that bunch? Good guess. John Calvin, the Presbyterians, Alexander Campbell, the Church of Christ, and so forth and so on and so on. But we got our name by that little crowd that believed that Catholic baptism, sprinkling, baptismal regeneration was not sufficient. So when we led somebody to Christ, we rebaptized them. They began to call us anti-baptist. We were named by our enemies. And later they dropped the anti and we are baptist. And we've been around since the 12 guys who Jesus started the church. You say, you can't prove that. Well, let me just throw you a hypothetical situation. Now, I don't know what that is. I read it in the book in there a while before I came in, but a hypothetical situation. Okay. Preacher, why are you a Baptist? Because the Bible. Preacher, what would you be if you wasn't a Baptist? Ashamed. By the way, you did see that sign said Baptist, didn't you? We're not taking that down. We're not changing that. We ain't putting a little B on it. We're Baptists because of conviction. Bible conviction. Is that all right? Hypothetical situation. Since we've got all these different names and uh, churches of your choice, are you bored yet? Instead of us going back to the New Testament to find our name, let's you and I bring Jesus and the 12 disciples to our generation. I mean right now. And they're going to start a church in the midst of all of these teachings, denominations. They're going to start a church. We're going to sell them some property across the street. What name would Jesus put on that sign? Because Jesus and his crowd didn't speak in tongues. That shut that bunch out. They didn't believe you got to be baptized to be saved. That closed the water dogs. I'm sure they'd love contemporary music. Where do you think Jesus would hire his praise team from? Billy Bob's? Don't get mad at me. I thought you came to church. 
Now, we brought Jesus now, and the 12 disciples are going to start the church that Jesus started. I'm just saying we need a name because of all the mixture and all the bull and all the doctrine that everybody's slinging around. We've got to name it. Or we could just call it non-denominational, everything goes. But somehow neither, I don't think Jesus said everything goes. He said, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. And if you're going to light up the world, you can't look like the world, dress like the world, smell like the world. I just wonder, before we get into the message today, what would Jesus name the church that he started? Let's go on now. We, we need to get out of there. Uh, some folks are mad at me and others are glad. If you read the account of John the Baptist, you'll read him in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And there's one thing you'd have to say about John the Baptist. And you say, well, I've never read the account of John the Baptist. You ought to read it. It's precious. It's precious. I, I can just see old Zacharias uh, wait, waiting down at the... He's a high priest. He's a priest down at the temple. And he's burning incense one day. And he walks inside. Nobody can go in there but him. And he walks in there and he begins to light this incense. And suddenly there's an angel standing right there beside him. And John is over the hill. Anybody here know what that means? <laughs> you, you get any... On your, on, your, on your emails, do you get anything that says you guys don't have to stay over the hill? Let's go on. You know what over the hill is, don't you? If you don't, just ask. Uh, well, I don't know who to ask. But here, Zacharias, old, past childbearing, and he walks in, he's burning incense. And the angel is standing there by the incense laver. And he starts to light the thing. And Zacharias gets the good news. You're going to have a baby. I heard that news at 50. My wife could have hit me in the head with a bag of cutworms. And every one of them took a butt. It would not have hurt near as bad. Honey, at 50, you're going to be a daddy. Suddenly I heard God call me to the mission field. <laughs> Zachariah, you're going to have a baby. Elizabeth is going to conceive. It's going to be by a supernatural means by which God is going to touch your wife's dead womb and she's going to have a baby. And you name that baby John. You'll find this in Luke chapter 1. Zechariah doubted that God could do that, so God made him dumb. Could not speak for nine months. I think it should happen to the lady, not the man. That would cut down on the conversation in the world for nine months. What a wonderful supernatural. Just get yourself in the story and go with Zacharias behind the curtain. In fact, the folks who's waiting on him to come out of the inner chamber was worried to death that old Zachariah was going to die. Said, thought God had killed him in there. He stayed in there so long talking to the angel. And by the way, you do know the high priest 
When he walked into the Holy of Holies, he had bales sewn around his garment, all around his garment. that have a bale and a pomegranate, bale and a com- And every time he took a step, those bales rang and witnessed of his presence. That by when he walked into the Holy of Holies, just where him and God was. If he walked in there with sin in his life, he walked in there unworthy. Those bells would quit ringing because God would kill him on the spot. He walked in there with a rope tied around his leg. In case the bells quit ringing, the people could drag him out of the presence of God. And we come to God's presence like Like Jesus, just a guy next door. But old Zachariah had been in the Holy of Holies, I mean in the holy place long enough. I share, I'm sure as he talked to the angel, he could feel the tug on the rope because they thought he was dead. He'd been in there too long. Don't take that long to burn incense. I could feel the tug and he's talking to the angel and said, I want you to name this kid's name John. And he's going to be the forerunner of Jesus. And the Bible says that he is going to be a voice crying in the wilderness. If you ever read anything about John, you, I think you would have to agree with me that he is an extraordinary, unusual, remarkable man. You ought to read something about John the Baptist. You ought to read something about his creation. Supernatural. May I say to you, That Gabriel is not dead. That's the angel that God uses to open barren wombs. And he's a lot cheaper than fertilization clinics. Amen, preacher. I know we don't like that, but it's a fact, Jack. If God has got it closed... You can spend all the money you want on fertilization and it ain't going to work. You got that? Some folk don't need kids. I was one of them. Kids don't need to have kids. Adults need to have kids. Kids raise bad kids. And you say, I don't know what happened to my Children, how old were you when you had them? Oh, I was 15. Well, now that's mature enough to have a bunch of rugrats. Anybody having fun yet? But God supernaturally touched the womb of an old lady. And she had John. Quite a remarkable man. He was a cousin of the Lord Jesus Christ. His calling, the Bible says, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost from his birth. While in the womb of his mother, a visit from Mary. And while she was there, the Bible says that the Holy Ghost filled John in a mother's room. And he leaped. That's what I thought happened to my first one when the water bag broke at about 3 o'clock in the morning. I said, you've been filled with the Holy Ghost. No, her bag of water broke. That's exciting. I acted like I was full of something. 
lady said, you want to feel a baby move? No. Watch it leap. You watch it leap. I leapeth not. But in the mother's womb, can you imagine it? He was told before he was born what he was to drink and what he was to eat and what he was not to eat. He was born into a priestly family. And he was in line to be a priest. But John decided within the cold religion that he was being born into, in the, in the drab, cold, uh, formal kind of religion of the Pharisees, the doubting of the Sadducees, the materialism of the Herodians, he decided that what the world needed is not another priest, but a prophet. An unusual, remarkable man created by the hand of God supernaturally. A cousin to the Lord Jesus. His calling was definite and his courage beyond imagination. He walked up to the king and said, You are living in sin with your brother's wife. What if I did that in the Baptist service on Sunday morning? Just walk back and say, you're shacking up. And the one you got's not yours. Hello, John. (laughs) You say, that split the church. That's not popular. Well, John lost his head for it. And folk look at me about preaching the Bible and say, well, he needs to be a little kinder or he needs to be a little bit more temperate or he needs to be a little more long-suffering. No, what we need in this world today is thus saith the Lord. And quit backing around and tiptoeing through the tulips because somebody's afraid you're going to lose your paycheck. Can anybody say amen? amen? John had the courage of a bulldog. Nobody likes bulldogs. I don't like bulldogs. If I'm visiting a house, I won't see a poodle, not a bulldog. I used to say that about them little rat-looking dogs. What, are, what kind of they? The only time I've ever been bit in my life, I was so winning. One of them little suckers walked up and bit me right down the leg. I killed it. No, I didn't. I said, ma'am, I hope your dog don't die from biting me. What a marker man. Courageous. Convictions that's unmovable. He knew why God sent him. Would not allow God to detour him. But he was courageous. He was had deep seated convictions about some things. And he was uh, it was his Commendation, notice if you would please, the Bible said that all of Judea and all of Jerusalem went out. He was an unusual man. Could I ask you something now? What time is it? Yep, just about time for me to quit. What made John, what separated John from all his contemporaries? It was not his birth. 
It was not that he was the cousin of Jesus. It was not that he was courageous. It was not that he had deep convictions. It was not his success at all going out. You know, I I, I think I can tell you today one thing that set John apart. It was his faithfulness. God's not looking for courage. God is looking for faithfulness. God is not looking for intellect. God is looking for faithfulness. Your wife don't care how much money you make if you'll just be faithful. Your husband don't care how you look. Well, (laughs) he just wants you to be faithful. Your employer wants you to be faithful. Faithfulness is a very precious but very scarce commodity in the world in which we live. Your kids don't care if you climb to the top of your social ladder. They just want daddy to be daddy. Your, 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 mom, your kids don't care, mom, if you if you made the fashion magazine. And they're not interested in all the stuff you've put on now that's not your own. They're not interested in how much you can take off at night and replace tomorrow. God and your kids just would like you to be faithful. Kids, if you cannot be faithful to a girlfriend, don't get married because you can't be faithful to a wife. Girls, if you can't be faithful when you're young, you'll not be faithful when you're old. The Bible says this. It is required in a steward that a man be found, you know the rest of it? Faithful. How many of you would like to go back maybe 20 years and say, let me start over again. I bet I could be faithful. How many of you would give anything in the world if you could eradicate the scar that you have put on somebody else's heart all because you were not faithful? You can't trust a person who's not Why should God bestow the power and the provision of God upon a person who he cannot be found faithful? You see, what made John the Baptist unusual was not his creation or his unusual birth, although that was great. It was not his courage. It was not his conviction. It was not uh, uh, that, uh, that, that God blessed him with all the crowd. John was just a guy like us that was faithful. Isn't that great? Do you know it takes no education. It takes no intellect. It takes no achievement at all to be faithful. Everybody can be faithful. Faithful.
takes no brains to be faithful. I qualify. Takes no unusual abilities or gifts to be faithful. I qualify. You qualify. And that's what God is looking for. He's not looking for how pretty you are, how smart you are, how talented you are. He's just looking to see if you can be accounted faithful. Notice something. I'll close with this. I'll just give you the outline. John was faithful in his ministry. I don't know if you know it or not, but every one of you here today, God has saved you and placed you where you are for a specific person, purpose, and a specific ministry. If more wives would look at being a wife as a ministry instead of a drudgery, boy, be happy around the house. If more husbands would look at being a husband as a ministry to the Lord and exemplifying the Lord and testifying to the Lord and being an example for the Lord, I bet you'd be a lot more happier kids in this world if daddy would have the ministry of a godly daddy. What a coincidence. Just as I walked down the hall coming to the church, the young man approached me and said, we're buying a new house and I want God to be in my new house. And I want God to be oh, in control of my home. And he said, Preacher, I don't know what to do. I said, I'll tell you what I'd do. Me and my wife and family would get in that new home and we would dedicate it to God Almighty. And I would tell God, This is your temple. And I will be your high priest in this temple. And I will lead my family in the things of God. Now that's what I'd do. You said, you're a nut. I know, but I'm screwed on the right boat. Ginger is not the high priest of our house. I'm the high priest. That don't mean boss. That don't mean male chauvinist. It just means that I do what God wants done in that home. She votes. And I say, don't like to vote. She votes again. I say, that's a better. You know what I mean by being a high priest. You know what I mean by sharing the word of God, teaching your kids by principle, by example. Oh, how we need that in America. But see, we don't do that. We ain't got time for that. We just don't have time for that trash. We'll wait till the kids get in jail. We'll call a preacher. Preacher will pull some strings. And get, get, get all that uh, off his, uh, sponge off the record. And we'll just, we'll just wait on the preacher. You fell out of your tree on your head, what you did. He was faithful in his ministry. Don't have time to go through it all, but he was faithful in his ministry. He was a faithful in the ministry of proclamation in verse 1 and 2. The Bible said he came out of there and, and he, was, he said, I came uh, sent by God. To proclaim something. And uh, I came to proclaim to make the way straight. Prepare the way of the Lord. I like that, don't you? I don't have time. But I'm going to tell you something. Isn't it amazing? 
Now think about this. John came to prepare the way for the Lord, right? Guess who prepared the way for John? You got it. John came to prepare the way for the Lord. Guess who prepared the way for John? Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, 2, 3. Long before the foundation of the world, God had already worked out what John was going to do. Aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad God, John is just not an accident that happened along? Aren't you glad that John just not another one? No, sir. He was in the plan of God to prepare the way for the Lord. But before he prepared the way for the Lord, the Lord prepared the way for him. He prepared the way for the Jews to see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And then he left us in charge, listen now, to prepare the way for the folks in Burleson. He left you and I in charge to prepare the way for the folks in Cleburne and, uh, and, 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 and Crowley and the world. Hey, he, you are in charge to prepare the way for the Lord. What are you doing to help your neighbor? Realize that Jesus Christ is just not a figment of somebody's imagination. That guy you're working with every day. Does they see something unusual in you that they'd like to have like the Lord? This whole thing is just a preparation for the coming of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad of that? I said, aren't you glad of that? Prepare you the way. He was faithful in his ministry. He was faithful in his message. He didn't swerve to the right or left. He was faithful in his message. I'm glad he was. His message was to prepare the way. Verse 3, prepare the way. Isaiah 40, verse 1 through 3, prepare the way. And it's talking about the king, when he came into a certain country, the Roman emperor. See, in Jesus' day and John's day, they didn't have any toll roads, freeways, expressways. Throughout the land of Palestine, there were just trails. Trails over the hills, in the valleys, across the foot log, across the creek. Just little trails. But the Roman emperor, Caesar, when he took over that country, he built 50,000 miles of freeways, 200,000 miles of secondary roads, because he said, I want my couriers, when they're coming to Rome, to get there as swiftly as they can. That's not our mail, that's horse mail. And he said, when my legions are marching, I want them to have it as easy as they can. I want them on roads that are flat. I don't want them going over mountains. I don't want them going around curves. He said, if there is a river, you bridge it. If there's a mountain, go through it. I want it level for the king and his legions. 
And when John came to prepare the way for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he came to a time of cold, drab religion, put more emphasis on dress and what they ate than anything else. And John the Baptist, when he came, he said, I've got to cut through that religion. I've got to cut through all of that. I've got to cut through this. I've got to not have religion, but point them toward Jesus Christ who can save their eternal soul. And John came, was faithful to his message. He was faithful to his ministry. And lastly, he was faithful to his manner. I want you to know something. He's a weird dude. Look at verse 5. He's weird. And they went out on them all the land of Judea. Wow. Wow. No visitation program, Jim. Wonder how much money he spent at the post office just blitzing the area about big revival coming, John the Baptist. I wonder how many preparatory teams he sent out. How many decision booklets he made just to disciple that crowd. John didn't make one visit. Baptized the whole bunch. Is that success or what? Can't you just see John after having kind of meetings signing everybody's Bible? So by the way, we'll be selling tapes and records out by the roadside tomorrow as you come by. I've written some books. I'm on the bestseller. I've got a book on spiritual nourishment. Cook you grasshoppers well. Sin to eat raw grasshoppers. You know the worst thing for a preacher in the world is success. Well, I tell you, I've got to counsel these young women. Really? Let me tell you something. You won't listen to me on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Don't come to my office and ask for counseling. If you don't believe it here, you won't believe it in there. So these religious Pharisees driving their big cars, hiding their oceanfront property, saying, keep them cars and letters coming, friends. You don't have any trouble. All you need is faith in God. Keep them cards and letters coming, please. Can't you just see John the Baptist doing that? John's a success. Didn't go to his head. John was faithful with his manner, his success. Notice, if you would please, and his simplicity. Notice how he dressed. I wonder why it said that John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of skin about his loins. I wonder why the Bible in three or four places, address John's dress. Do you think God puts anything there just for put it in? Oh, I know, Holy Spirit needed two lines to fill up there. wonder why John, it was mentioned that he dressed in camel's hair with a little girl. 
Now all the priests were running around in the religious ephods. Now they had scripture around the border here. Had scripture around the border here. Had had the pomegranate and a bell around there. Had a big large key tied to the waist that swang as they walked. You know the difference swang and swing, don't you? The Mason Dixon. And the priest and the religious crowd was very proud of their dress. I mean, if you hadn't dressed like this, you couldn't hear confession. I wonder why John was dressed differently than the priest. Because he wasn't a priest. How was a prophet dressed in the Old Testament? How did Elijah dress? How did Elijah dress? The dress identified him of who he was. Not a priest, but God's prophet. What does your dress announce about you? Preacher, dress don't make any difference. Then why in the world did God put that in there about that grasshopper eating, honey sucking fella who came out of the wilderness crying, repent? Say, well, that message ain't, ain't, ain't really popular. Well, it wasn't popular in John's day either. His simplicity. His dress, his diet. Notice, if you would please, his subject wasn't himself. Now, John was quite an unusual man. But I noticed something about John. John was mighty. But he is talking about one that is almighty. Now John was a voice. But Jesus is the word. Now John called for repentance. Jesus called for rebirth. See the difference? John was pointing folk toward Jesus, who was almighty, who was the word, who became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And John was a messenger, but he was pointing folk toward the Messiah. That's the reason he said in John 1, 29, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away The sin of the world. Now you've got sin in your life. You've got to determine what are you going to do with it. You can either bring it to Christ and he will forgive it and cover it in the blood of the Lamb. Or you can stand before God at the great white throne judgment and hear God say, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. The angel will take you by the nap of the neck, see the riches, and throw you into that lake of fire where there'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth 
for eternity. John broke 400 years of silence and said, God has invaded this planet. And his name is Jesus Christ, verse 1, the Son of God.